Welcome, listeners, to the Pope News, the juice of the OC. This show is all about bringing you the fresh, squeezed news here in Orange County. The news presented in this show do not reflect the views of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Broadcasting out of Irvine, California, from KUCI 88.9 FM. Good afternoon, KUCI news listeners, and welcome to the Pulp News. Here we're going to talk about all the news happening around Orange County for the week. We've got some really awesome things happening in the program. Got some crime, got some sports, got some technology, a little bit of conservation and smog awareness, as well as a little bit of history about um, Orange County and UC Irvine. So stay tuned and get ready to listen to the Pulp News here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Again, thanks for joining us. Clockwork Orange County, tales of crime and punishment from behind the orange curtain. Hello out there in Radio Land. You're listening to the Pulp News on KUCI 88.9 FM. My name is Ari Jude Decker, and I'll be your guide through the world of crime and punishment in our new segment. I've been taken from the Orange County Register's online crime blogger. Uh, a Laguna Miguel man was arrested in a fatal hit and run of a San Juan Capistrano skateboarder. Authorities arrested a 19-year-old Laguna Miguel man late Saturday in connection with the suspected hit and run death of a man skateboarding in San Juan Capistrano on Friday night. Andrew Christopher Michaels was arrested on suspicion of vehicular manslaughter and felony hit-and-run in connection with the death of 23-year-old Cesar Medina, Lieutenant Jeff Halleck of the Orange County Sheriff's Department has stated. Michaels, arrested on about, at about 9.30 p.m. Saturday, was being held at the Orange County Jail on $100,000 bail, authorities said. Sheriff's officials said the alleged hit-and-run occurred on Del Obispo Street at the intersection of Paseo, Carolina. Michael's truck, a Dodge Ram, is thought to have struck the victim. The San Juan Capistrano skateboarder, whose identity has yet to be released, was pronounced dead at 10.45 p.m. Friday, according to statements from the coroner's office. A man was shot in the leg in Santa Ana. A man said he was shot in the leg Friday while riding his bicycle in Santa Ana, police have stated. Santa Ana police officers responded at 9.30 p.m. Uh, to a liquor store at the corner of North King and West 17th Streets, where they found a man with a gunshot wound to one of his lower legs, said Commander Jose Gonzalez. 
He told police he had been riding his bicycle on the Santa Ana River Trail bike path near Edna Park when he heard up to five gunshots come from behind him. He was hit once in the leg, but continued to pedal for almost a mile to the liquor store. Someone who saw him injured near the store called the police. Orange County Fire Authorities took him to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Officers were in the area where, they were, where the shooting occurred, searching for a suspect, but no arrest has yet to have been made. Santa Ana police are investigating a shooting death in a local Santa Ana neighborhood. A male was shot to death in a residential area Saturday night after being asked about his gang affiliation, according to the Santa Ana Police Department. A call came in at 8.58 p.m. of shots fired in the 700 block of Northwestern Avenue, Commander Jose Gonzalez stated. Officers responded to the scene and spotted two males whose identities and relationships weren't immediately available. One of them, whose age is unknown, had gunshot wounds to his abdomen and lower leg, Gonzalez said. Paramedics arrived, but he died at the scene. The other male, an adult, suffered a minor graze to his lower body from a bullet and was taken to the Santa Ana police station to be interviewed. According to witnesses, the two were riding bicycles north on Western Avenue near 7th Street when a dark-colored vehicle stopped and four people got out, Gonzalez said. The four asked the males on the bikes about their gang affiliation, Gonzalez stated. Then one of the men from the vehicle pulled out a handgun and shot at them. Gonzalez added that he did not know um, how the men who were shot responded to the question of their gang affiliation. The perpetrators got back into the vehicle and drove away, Gonzalez stated. The Santa Ana Police Department is investigating the case. Anyone with information is asked to contact the department at 714-245-8665. A police car crashes during a high-speed chase in Fullerton on Saturday. A patrol vehicle crashed into a pole at the end of a high-speed chase early Saturday morning, according to the Fullerton Police Department. Just before 2 a.m. near the Euclid and Rosecrans Avenue area, two police officers spotted a Honda Accord stolen out of Costa Mesa. The vehicle didn't stop, and a chase began, according to Sergeant Catherine Hamill. The vehicle fled north at an estimated 100 miles per hour through, th through the city streets of Fullerton, La Habra, and Roland Heights, pursued by several patrol units and a helicopter. The pursuit, which lasted three to four minutes, ended near the 60 freeway in Fullerton Road when the patrol vehicle that began the chase struck a pole and the stolen vehicle evaded the uh, pursuing vehicles, Hamill stated. No one was injured and no other vehicles collided. There were two people inside the stolen vehicle, though at this time their identities are not known to authorities, Hamill stated. Additional molestation charges for a former Anaheim junior high teacher um, have been handed down. Um, a retired Sycamore Junior High High School drama teacher accused last month of molesting two former male students who are now adults now stands charged with sexually assaulting six boys, prosecutors announced today. David Michael Bruce, 65, of Anaheim, was arrested September 8th on suspicion of molesting two boys, but an additional investigation led police to four more alleged victims. The investigation began in August when a sibling of one of the accusers came forward to police, according to Deputy District Attorney Rick Zimmer. Bruce taught drama at the Anaheim Junior High School from October of 1981 until he retired in 2010, but continued working as a substitute teacher through 2013, according to Anaheim Police Sergeant Darren Wyatt. The allegations date back to August 1996 and continue through June of 2011, Zimmer stated. The students were 11 to 14 years old, the prosecutors alleged. 
Bruce, who was arrested again on September 30th on the new allegations, is charged with nine counts of lewd acts on a child younger than 14 and two counts of lewd acts on a child between the age of 14 and 15. He faces up to 125 years to life in prison if convicted. A teen driver has been charged in the crash that killed five last year. Bradley Morales, the unlicensed 16-year-old driver of a car that crashed and killed five teen friends in Irvine last year, was arrested Saturday on charges of five felony counts of gross vehicular manslaughter, driving a vehicle without a license, and failure to show proof of financial responsibility, authorities announced. Ever since the fiery crash on October 4, 2014, authorities have been weighing whether to press charges against Morales, who is now 17 and the lone survivor of the crash. Our investigators took a great deal of time and painstakingly went over this case to ensure a thorough and comprehensive investigation was completed, Captain Ryan Shackelford of the Highway Patrol stated in a statement. <coughs> a judge will determine whether Morales will be tried as a juvenile or an adult, said Susan King Schroeder, Chief of Staff of the Orange County District Attorney's Office. The five teens died after a night at Not Scary Farm to celebrate one of their birthdays. Morales, a Laguna Niguel resident, was driving home in a relative's 1995 BMW sedan on the I-5 near the 133 toll road at about 2 a.m. when he veered off the road. He crashed into an embankment wall at a high speed, and the car was set ablaze. When the fire ignited, the five teens were still inside the car. Morales was found alive, having been thrown from the car before it burst into flames. He was hospitalized and underwent neurosurgery for a large skull fracture and an epidural hematoma, hospital officials said shortly after the crash. The five friends were Jennifer Bahena, 14, of Laguna Hills, Jennifer Campos, 15, of Aliso Viejo, Matthew Ivan Mello, 15, of Mission Viejo, Brandon Alejandro Moreno, 14, of Mission Viejo, and Alejandro Sotelo, 14, of San Juan Capistrano. According to autopsy results after the crash, Bahena, Campos, and Melos died of multiple blunt force trauma injuries from the crash. Well, that's all the news that we have for today regarding crime. If you have any questions or comments, you can feel free to email me at redecker, D-E-C-K-E-R, at uci.edu. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there. the Ducks preseason, where they're playing all division rivals, is showing a strong start for Orange County hockey. Over the last week and a half, the Ducks have won five out of six of their total preseason games, um, including two against the Sharks, who they're going to be playing on October 10th in San Jose for the first game of the season. The Sharks had an especially weak showing on Saturday night, where they were dominated by the Ducks 5-1. to one. Ducks defenseman Cam Fowler skated especially strong and both scored and assisted. This win, in combination with last Saturday's 2-1 win over the Sharks, should serve as a good preview for the season opener next week against San Jose. The home opener 
again, is on October 12th at the Honda Center against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, this past Thursday, in anticipation of the start of the season, the Ducks made a series of roster moves. Uh, first, recalling right wing Brian McGratton from um, the San Diego Gulls before reassigning him back to the Gulls on Friday and dropping the following players uh, to their American League Hockey League affiliate, uh, the Gulls. Uh, Max Freeberg is our left wing, um, goaltender Mac Hackett, um, left wing um, Andrej uh, Cass, and center Michael Garbasa. Anaheim now has 30 players on its 2015 roster, 19 forwards, 9 defensemen, and 3 goaltenders. Moving on to baseball and the Angels, and again, right now I'm going to have to apologize for writing this news on Sunday um, when... Tomorrow, when the, the show airs, the dust will be pretty much settled. Um, right now, we know who almost every team is that's going to the playoffs. Yet with the Dodgers, the Mets, the Cardinals, Pirates, Cubs, Blue Jays, Yankees, Royals, all safely in the postseason, today, on the last day of regular season play in baseball, there's still a lot going on. The Cubs and the Pirates are looking to secure home field advantage in the wild card race. Um, a Pittsburgh win or Chicago loss um, would bring um, PNC Park its third wild card game. Um, but uh, a Chicago win combined with a Pittsburgh loss would bring the game and therefore the advantage to the Windy City. But the American League is where it gets crazy. Last week, I said that for many teams in the American League, um, every game is really counting this past week. And we know how true that is today. While the Twins were officially eliminated from the postseason on Saturday, Houston, Texas, and our own Angels still have a lot to play for. It gets really crazy for the Astros, especially. If the Rangers beat the Angels, the Rangers will win the division, regardless of anything that Houston could do. However, um, the Astros can force a one-game one tiebreaker to decide the division if they beat the Diamondbacks today and the Texas Rangers lose and the Angels win. Uh, and the tiebreaker would actually be played tomorrow in Arlington. Um, and the loser of this tiebreaker would have home field advantage in the American League wildcard game on uh, Tuesday, but only if the Yankees also lose on Sunday. Uh, today, on Sunday. The Astros can clinch the second American League wildcard um, game outright if they win or if the Angels lose. But if the Angels win, Anaheim will be headed to the postseason for the second year running, this time occupying a wildcard berth, unlike last year where they won the American League uh, championship. Looking at Saturday's improbable win, where Texas blew a four-run lead in the ninth inning, letting the Angels rally to a ten uh, to an eleven to ten win, or being honest, all of the ridiculously close wins and losses that the Angels have suffered and celebrated in the last week, uh, this shapes to at least be like a really exciting day. Um, the Rangers are going to be starting their recent trade acquisition and relatively recent trade deadline acquisition, Cole Hamels which might stifle Anaheim's hope, but the Angels could easily stun again as they did on Saturday. Still, how often is it that so much has still not been decided in the last game of season play? Uh, that's October baseball for you. 
and who knows um, if the Astros have anything to say about it. Monday could still have regular season baseball. Otherwise, as I said, the American League wildcard game is on Tuesday. The National League game is Wednesday before the regular playoffs start on Thursday and will last through the rest of the month. Orange baseball. Finally, on a happy, if um, non-Orange County note, um, the Nationals, who have been mired in controversy since last week when closer Jonathan Papelbaum was suspended for the remainder of the season after choking Bryce Harper in a duckout scuffle, managed to get some positive press when Max Scherzer um, pitched his second no-hitter of the season versus the Mets on Saturday. He's the first pitcher since Nolan Ryan in 1973 to pitch two no-nos in one season. A Scherzer, presumably for luck, um, jokingly choked Harper in the dugout before the game, which I feel like after his stunning and just frankly filthy performance, might choking Harper might be coming like a regular ritual. And that's all for me. Uh, thank you for listening to the Orange County Sports Roundup, your professional Orange County sports news abridged. This is Daniela McKahey. Now let's check in with Jesse Morales for some Orange County technology news. Hello and welcome to KUCI Technology News. This is Jesse Morales. Costa Mesa-based electric auto firm Fisker Automotive and Technology Group, now under new ownership, said Wednesday that it has changed its name to Karma Automotive. According to the company, the name change is aimed at communicating the change to the company's ownership, its new management team, and its new production site in California. Karma Automotive is now owned by Chinese automotive firm Wanziang Group, which acquired Fisker Automotive out of bankruptcy in 2014. Karma Automotive also said it has a new assembly facility here in Southern California for its vehicles. Fisker's first and only vehicle was named the Fisker Karma. Karma Automotive did not give any updates on when it plans to ship cars again. Irvine-based disk drive and storage maker Western Digital Corporation has received a massive $3.775 billion equity investment from Chinese company Unisplendor Corporation Limited, which will give Unisplendor a 15% stake in the company. According to Western Digital, Unisplendor will purchase newly issued Western Digital Common Stock at a price of $92.5 per share for the stake. Unisplendor gets a position on Western Digital's board of directors with the investment. Beijing-based Unisplendor is a distributor of optical storage, personal computers, wireless, and other electronic products in China. Irvine-based PhageTech, a developer of disease detection sensors, said late Monday morning that it has raised $2.4 million in a funding round. The Series A funding came from Mark IV Capital and Black River Investments. According to PhageTech, it is developing biosensor technology which enables early detection of cancer and other diseases using a one-minute blood and urine test. PhageTech, led by Richard Henson, said the funds will go towards completing development and FDA clearance of its technology. 
That's it for KUCI Technology News. I'm Jesse Morales. See you next week. The Garden Bee, DJ and Lou, UC Master Gardeners. feel about the air quality where you live. Los Angeles Times, Friday, October 2nd, 2015. Smog standard stirs anger. At least 28 California counties would be in violation of the new federal EPA smog standard if it were in place today. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency adopted a stricter smog limit Thursday that will force states to reduce emissions over the next decade, improving respiratory health for millions of people through pollution controls that will cost industry billions of dollars. EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy issued a new standard strengthening limits on ground-level ozone to 70 parts per billion down from the 75 parts per billion standard adopted in 2008 by the Bush administration. The tighter restrictions will have the greatest impact in California because the state has the nation's worst air quality and has failed to meet previous ozone standards. The EPA's long-delayed decision disappointed public health advocates and environmentalists who had endorsed a 60 parts per billion standard. They said they were likely to challenge the EPA in court for selecting the weakest option under consideration. The big polluters won this time, quote, for the most part, said Frank O'Donnell, president of the advocacy group Clean Air Watch. Quote, this is truly a blemish on the president's environmental legacy. End quote. Industry groups which waged a fierce lobbying and advertising campaign against new ozone rules predicted they would stifle economic growth with power plants, factories, and other businesses bearing the burden of costly new controls will not go into effect for several years, giving states until 2017 to collect air quality data and determine their status, and several more years to devise plans to cut pollution. The EPA projects that all but 14 counties outside California will meet the new limit by 2025. The EPA will give California until 2037, 12 years longer than the rest of the country, to meet the new standard. Senator Barbara Boxer, Democrat from California, said the EPA's action is a step in the right direction, but I believe following the science is important, and I am disappointed that a more protective standard was not set, unquote. Politicians have been wary of tighter standards on ozone because of the economic implications of further reductions in the country's most widespread air pollutant. Representative Fred Upton, Republican, Michigan, chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, warned that it could be the last straw for our fragile economy. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy Republican Bakersfield, 
who was expected to become the new House Speaker, said the rule was, quote, all pain for little gain. As part of the changes, the federal government will update the nation's color-coded air quality index to reflect the more stringent limits. Health experts have long complained that the index classifies the air in many regions as healthful when it is not. Ozone forms when pollution from cars and trucks, factories and power plants, cook in the heat and sunlight. Ozone levels are influenced by so many different pollution sources that controlling them requires emissions reductions from a wide variety of places, including vehicles, manufacturing facilities, and consumer products. The Clean Air Act requires the EPA to set pollution standards at levels that protect public health, quote, with adequate margin of safety, including protections for children, the elderly, and others who are more sensitive to air pollution. The EPA is prohibited from considering costs when establishing the limits on ozone and other pollutants, but can factor in costs when determining how the states carry out the rules. Tens of millions of Americans live where ozone levels are too high. The problem is worse in California, where about one-third of the residents live in communities with pollution that exceeds federal standards, according to recent estimates by state officials. The smoggiest cities in the country are in Southern California and the Central Valley. This is KUCI News and Lou DJ. Hi, my name is Ellen Bell, and I love history. Not just the old, musty, cobweb-covered kind, but the kind that you can visit and experience and learn from today. Believe it or not, even though it seems to be in love with modern residential development, Orange County has a rich history to share. So that's where I come in. Here at OC Day Tripper, I'll explore places where you can find fingerprints of the past right here in the middle of modern day life. So hang out with me, and I'll connect the dots between Orange County's past and its present. So during the week when UCI is celebrating its 50th birthday, it it seems only appropriate to share a little bit about how this place came to be. Now you might know that the city of Irvine is this master planned community of over 220,000 people, but what you may not know is that UCI was here first. Before Irvine, before UCI, this place was called the Irvine Ranch. It was a 100,000-acre farming and cattle grazing operation that was owned by a guy named James H. Irvine. Now, at one time, this large Irvine ranch extended all the way from the Santa Ana Mountains all the way down to the Pacific Ocean. Now, in the late 1950s, the University of California system was looking for a new campus or a new site for a campus. And the Irvine Ranch was here, this blank split slate of open space that was populated with more cows than people. Now, the Irvine company who owned the land, they knew that residential development was on the way. So they decided to donate 1,000 acres to build this new campus. They thought this was a great idea because they thought a new university would be the perfect centerpiece for this city of intellect that they were wanting to create here. So in comes William Pereira, a visionary architect who wants to do more than just design buildings for a campus. Pereira wanted to create a way of life here. 
He felt that the UCI campus should bring students together and give them a sense of place here at their school. So he designed the campus in the shape of a wheel with academic studies all connected with pathways that were easily accessible for pedestrians or bike riders. And in this way, students would feel connected to the campus as a whole and not just their specific field of study. So 50 years ago, on October 4th, 1965, Pereira's circle design was only halfway completed. The immature trees hadn't really filled in yet, and the new landscaping hadn't taken hold. And even though it was intended to be the heart of the campus and the center of student life, the 16-acre Central Park was just dust-covered and stark. It was said that when the original 1,589 students arrived on the first day, the students outnumbered the trees. So when you walk to class this week, maybe through Shady Aldrich Park, try to imagine what the campus must have looked like 50 years ago and realize that you are now part of the history of UCI too. I'm Ellen Bell for KUCI 88.9 FM, and I'll see you next time at the OC Day Tripper. And that's all the time we have today for Pulp News here on KUCI. You've been listening to 88.9 FM in Irvine. We also stream live online at KUCI.org. And if you want to learn more about our KUCI news program or catch up on some things that you might have missed, check out KUCINews.KUCI.org. Until then, have a lovely rest of your week.